So okay. I think today's podcast has a very motivating, inviting title, uh, Redefining Success, Mindfulness, and Digital Boundaries. Um, and although humans have been working for millennia, you know, the amount of time that we spend working in the digital space has grown from none to almost all of our time in a short period. And most of us, myself included, um, are still struggling to develop a style that integrates these relatively new 24-7 technologies, including email, online trainings and courses in countless digital forms to fill out with the usual way we've worked in the past and the usual way that we've spent time at home um, uh, and with family. Um, so today our goal is to learn about digital boundaries and how to use them to our benefit. My name is Nirav Bhakta. I'm a physician and a scientist um, in the Department of Medicine in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the University of California in San Francisco. Uh, and with us today to discuss this topic of digital boundaries is Jay Ellard, an author and expert on behaviors that cause imbalance, disengagement, and distraction. After obtaining undergraduate and graduate degrees in communication and communication management, Jay spent years in senior communication roles crafting content for executives, but then the accumulated effects of stress drove her to a breaking point. This life-altering experience propelled her to research human behavior, neuroscience, mindfulness, and organizational relationship systems. And in 2008, she founded Simple Intentions, which includes a website um, and blog, and she developed the Mindful Life Program to generate intentional conversations to disrupt patterns and create awareness, accountability, and action at both the group and individual levels. She's taught these skills of awareness in more than 50 countries to thousands of employees, at large multinational corporations and is the author of at least seven books on the topic. She contributes to the Awareness at Work column for Mindful Magazine, the Healthy Living section on the Huffington Post, as well as the Simple Intentions blog. So this experience in helping teams and individuals improve the experience of the modern-day workplace makes us very fortunate to have Jay with us today. So Jay, it's somewhat ironic that we're addressing digital boundaries on a digital platform, a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it, and that it actually opens the conversation with how awesome technology is. Like, we don't want to make this conversation about making technology negative, but with so much amazing magical technology that makes our lives easier, there's a lot of responsibility with how we use it. So that raises two important starting questions I have for you. So, what is a digital boundary, and why should we have them? <laughs> So a digital boundary for me, how I define it, is just really creating awareness and intentionality around how we're using technology to either support our desired outcomes or where we might be using it to kind of sabotage our desired outcomes. And so digital boundaries help us right, use technology in ways that support us and create awareness in ways where technology is not so much supporting us but maybe sabotaging what we're trying to seek. And the benefit of that is when we're intentional about how we're using technology and the ways it's hurting us or maybe not so much helping us, then we can be more intentional about accomplishing our desired goals, whether they're workplace goals, you know, professional goals, or even personal goals. So with awareness, we can be more intentional about the, how we're using which tools to better support us. So you you speak a lot and um, teach a lot and write a lot about mindfulness, um, something that uh, we can ne never hear enough about. And mm -hmm. but it's uh, you know we don't hear about it necessarily um, uh, specifically applied to the digital space. What are some of the differences in 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 how to apply mindfulness um, to digital boundaries, and 
what are some of the um, uh, uh, techniques um, to um, apply mindfulness? Yeah, so I love this question because it's about, it's, it's what I do. It's what gets me out of bed every day is taking these beautiful concepts of mindfulness and applying them to our modern world. And one of the, you know, most modern ways we engage in our world is through using different technology devices um, throughout our day to accomplish many different things. And so with mindfulness, really, um, my intention around mindfulness is helping people develop the skill of awareness, which is one of many skills that fall into the mindfulness category. And what awareness is, is our ability to see the world and how we show up in it. And that includes our ability to see how we're interacting with technology and understanding the the areas, again, kind of going back to where is that supporting us and where is that sabotaging us. But it has to start with creating awareness around maybe how we're using our mobile devices, how we're using instant messaging communication, how we're using Facebook or, or um, um, you know, FaceTime or Skype technology. And instead of feeling like it's happening to us, realizing that we actually have some choice with how we want to engage with it. Um, and so setting those limits help us to really create what I like to think of as a healthy relationship with our technology instead of it being, you know, a somewhat complicated relationship with our different technology devices. But it starts with having awareness around how we're engaging with technology in our life. And and does that awareness, um, uh, you know, can it, um, you know, easily be applied both um, at work and at home? And, and do you see... Um, the effects of of uh, being in the digital space um, at home have, does that have a different effect on the mind and the body um, than uh, when we're in the digital space at work? Um, yeah. Okay. So this is a really interesting question, right? We're one being. We're a dynamic being living in a dynamic world, and and part of the modern future of work is creating these incredibly flexible work environments. I mean, the fact that you have access to you know, your professional information 24-7 can be really, really helpful for a lot of people. And for some people, it can be not so helpful. And so going back to understanding um, how and where you're using that technology can be important. So exactly, in our in our personal life, for example, um, let me start by saying most of us are connected more than 10 hours a day in some way connected to any type of device, whether we're using it personally or we're using it professionally. And this goes back to kind of the um, topic of the content that one is consuming. So, for example, if you're, you've been consuming professional content all day and that could have a variety of emotional inputs for you, it could be exciting, it could be challenging, it could be stressful, and then you come home and you're consuming more content, more data, what is the content of what you're consuming and how is that um, adding value or adding joy to your life? Are you watching content that's or consuming content that's making you feel positive or is it making you feel angry and frustrated and paying attention to that? So there's not so much um, the, the science that, I've seen around this is hours of exposure on media devices, and there's some you know guidelines that have been set for you know children of different ages, and we don't really think about these guidelines for ourselves as adults. And so, what is a healthy consumption guideline for you in terms of your own adult screen time? And then going a step further, what is the type of content that you're consuming as an adult? Right? Are you on Facebook? Are you watching YouTube videos? Are you learning? Are you looking at news feeds and information? And 
paying attention, right, the mindfulness piece is understanding how is this making you feel and how is this bringing joy or not joy to your life and then choosing to do something with that data and information. So we know that too much of a good thing is too much anyway. So we want to have healthy limits. And so what is a limit for you might be different than what is a limit for me. And that's where we have to take the personal accountability and this awareness piece again to, to know what that might be for each of us. That's really, I like how you um, make the points that, you know, hours are not so much important as um, the actual content and how it's making you feeling. And that for everyone, that's that, that's a different balance. And, uh, and you know, one of something I think that, um, you know, you've, promoted steps to engage in five healthy steps that you've talked about, um, including um, that each person's balance is unique. Mm -hmm. And then coming into the second one, that we are in and out of balance um, so that we have to um, use mindfulness um, to figure out what are in terms of balance and how much more we can handle and sort of playing with that edge and that one week um, something might work one way, but that the next week um, something may work another way. Are there things that you recommend people um, uh, look for physically in their body um, or, um, you know, tension um, in their head, um, how their body feels, um, uh, uh, discussing things with uh, people that are close to them to figure out, um, uh, you know, am I spending too much time on Facebook um, or on YouTube? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I like to, a couple of seeds I like to plant with people as they begin to, you know, have some curiosity and investigate their relationship with their digital devices to see where they might be able to set some, some boundaries. And so one of the questions I like to have people kind of have in their head to pull out is, do I need to know this now? Do I need to know this now? And how is it going to benefit me knowing this right now? For example, I like to, I like comedy. I like to watch comedy videos sometimes when I need a little levity. And do I need to know this right now? No, probably not. But what is? Why am I watching this right now? Oh, because I want to. I want to laugh a little. So I'm intentional about why I'm doing what I'm doing in that case. So where where do I need to know this now? Sometimes, you know, we're we're checking our devices or consuming media, and we're not really clear why we're why we're doing it. So that's the first check. And then if I need to know this now, how is this making me feel? How is this showing up in my body? Um, am I feeling tight in my chest? Am I you know, holding in my breath? Am I, am I laughing? Am I expanding? Is, is, this, is this bringing joy to me? And so just beginning to pay attention to our body signs is really important because for most of us, we're so busy and overscheduled, we've lost kind of that connection that's happened to our body. So it's kind of a one-two question. So there's the intellectual awareness of, do I need to know this now? Why am I doing this right now? And if I'm going to do it, what is the desired impact or benefit I'm seeking in my body? And so it's about creating a little bit of slowing down before we dive into whatever it is we're, we're about to do. And that's, you know, this can apply to, um, you know, things like instant messaging and email and Skype tools that we use at work as well. Uh, we're in habitual patterns a lot of time with, oh, I'm just going to send that instant message because that's where you've always done it. But is that, does it make you feel stressed out as you're beginning to type that instant message because maybe part of you knows that might not be the best way to reach out to, you know, said person on the other end. So we have these body signals throughout the day 
But for most of us, we're not entirely paying attention to it and saying, hey, where is this? How does it make me feel as I'm typing this message or as I'm starting this Skype call? So it goes, kind of keeps coming back to that awareness piece is just noticing in the body what's going on. Well, it's, it's remarkable how um, similar this sounds to um, the advice we should all be following in terms of uh, when we eat and when we have a craving for food and and the kind of food that we're putting into our bodies. So it's nice to um, hear that um, a, a lot of these skills, I guess, at its root, mindfulness are um, can be uh, applied to all these different situations. I love that you just said that because I like to think of this as like conscious ingestion. And so just like we ingest food, right, we ingest technology and data all day long. And when we eat something that makes our stomach upset, our body tells us don't put that in our stomach again. But when we watch content or media that upsets us and we keep watching it, right, we're, we're, in, we're, having, we're creating that, that discomfort in ourselves. And so I see it as actually no different um, because in some ways we can nourish ourselves with the content we expose ourselves to. And this can be, um, you know, just like moderation with what we eat, moderation with like, say, sugar intake. We want to moderate just the volume of intake we have as well. But first we have to begin... We have to have the courage to be willing to see all the ways we might be using technology that might not be supporting us. Um, for example, I work with a lot of people who, who share with me, the first thing they do in the morning is they grab their phone. And then they quickly say, it's because it's my alarm. And for a lot of people it is. I strongly encourage you to buy an alarm clock or to put your phone in sleep mode. So the first thing you do while you're laying in bed isn't check email or check Facebook or check whatever it is you check, but maybe check your body and check, you know, the the lovely person who you may be, you know, sharing space with, right, or your your pets or whatever. Like, how are you entering into the day, right? And so that's, that takes a lot of courage to look at how we're actually using technology and where it might not be, you know, in our best interest. Continuing on with that that food analogy, um, mm-hmm. if the, if you know food is everywhere, if you're at a buffet or it's just you keep a lot mm-hmm. of snacks at home, then it's a little too easy to uh, maybe take in the things that might not be the best uh, for your body. And with work um, these days, um, and I think you know something not necessarily unique just to the academic environment, um, mm-hmm. uh, but everywhere with with email um, and messaging um, systems place uh, for 24-hour access, there's this um, strong desire because we all want to succeed and better our uh, positions in our career um, to always be on and to uh, mm-hmm. be the first one to reply. Uh, mm-hmm. And h- how do we how do we shut down when, uh, when we do want to succeed um, uh, and, you know, help people out in our workplace because, you know, um, you know, like you've said before, we all come to work to um, uh, with good intentions to to mm-hmm. uh, improve the world and people's lives. And how do we shut it? How do we shut that off? Yeah. So there's a couple couple components here. So the um, first piece is right awareness. What do we need, and how? What are our needs, and how do we want to communicate those needs? But that has to happen hand-in-hand with the expectations. So if we're talking about, you know, our professional worlds in in whatever industry it is, there are certain number, there's certain baseline expectations that kind of govern 
your industry, right? In academia, there are certain expectations for what's the bare minimum that needs to be done or are are met. And from there, it becomes a, you have the opportunity to have a, a negotiation for what that limit is that you need to set to create some helpful restoration time for yourself. And that might be, you know, is it is challenging? Does anything really need to happen past 9 p.m. at night, for example? Like, is there a safe off time that the team or the organization can agree that there's no need for us to have business communication happening past a certain time in the evening? Now, if certain people like to choose to work in the evening, then it's a conversation to set expectations with with your boss or if you're the boss with your team that says, hey, I choose to do some of my creative thinking time in the evening. That doesn't mean I expect you to or you need to respond to this. But this is the choice I'm making. This is the limit I'm setting, and this is what I expect of you. So a lot of times we create our needs or our boundaries, and we forget that communication part. And we forget to ask, what is actually expected of me? What do you expect? Do you expect me to respond to things on the weekend? Sometimes the answer might be yes, because a lot of our business is cyclical sometimes. And so we have to have these constant conversations around expectations and clarity, and then we can set the appropriate boundaries. Does that make sense? There's a lot involved uh, there. It's yeah. very complicated. <laughs> well, I, the the key thing is is you know you, you, uh, you're saying that we should have these conversations, but when I think about um, you know my workplace um, and uh, mm-hmm. other people's workplaces, we don't we don't have these um, explicit conversations, um, whether um, at a large um, you know institutional level or within small working groups. But um, just looking at the few times when I have. Uh, with individual people um, that I was supervising, um, or with the uh, with my bosses, um, to when the conversation is explicit, um, it, wow, it just it it off a certain amount of tension, and there's a mm-hmm. certain um, real kindness and consideration um, in explicitly asking and and discussing what everybody's boundaries and limitations and what's going on in people's lives at home and and mm-hmm. in their work that where then we could decide how are we going to um divvy up these tasks and how are we going to um uh, what are our expectations for um work times on this thing it's and, and we have to be really yes I get so excited I'm sorry <laughs> yeah go ahead yeah we we don't have these conversations and we have to be willing to have these conversations and the courage to have the conversation. And this is my favorite part about what my company does and, and the role we get to play is we can, anyone at any level in an organization can be empowered to begin a conversation around some of these, some of these digital boundaries or, or boundaries. And it starts by saying, acknowledging I care and I'm deeply committed to this job and I want to understand the limits in which you expect me to perform. And the weekend time is really important to me. I'm a triathlete. I'm training for this, or I'm a hobbyist. I'm doing this, or my I have tiny kids at home. And I want to be clear. Do you expect me to be on call over the weekend? What does that mean? And there's such leadership that can come from having that kind of conversation where in the past, most people believe that it's going to be seen as a weak conversation or you might show up as an underperformer, kind of going back to like, this is a tough industry you guys are in. Like, there's a lot of competition and there's a lot of drive to outperform each other. And you can still achieve all that by having these really thoughtful conversations. 
um, but it's interrupting some habitual patterns we, we hold in the workplace around um, it being okay to talk about boundaries and limits. And I've seen teams around the world transform just by beginning to talk about, actually, no, you don't need to be available past 10 p.m. or past, you know, whatever time or, in, you know, on call, on email before whatever time. And just by having those conversations, it can really create a whole different atmosphere when we have to be willing to have the conversation. And what about those deadlines, those grants, those um, yeah. <laughs> uh, deadlines that your collaborators or bosses impose? Uh, on the one yeah. hand, the digital space <laughs> can extend those deadlines um, um, till late, but on the other hand, the, the digital space um, maybe can help with planning in terms of um, using your calendar uh, more effectively uh, to meet those deadlines. What are some techniques um, of using um, uh, technology uh, to help us with those deadlines. Yeah, you just said it perfectly. Technology is your friend when you're using it, like, intentionally. And so when you know you have a deadline, everyone knows there's a deadline. That means there's going to be required a certain, like, level of imbalance in the organization or the team for that time. And there's also a known that when the deadline is passed, that there there could be a return back to kind of the new normal or equanimity of that team. And so knowing that, using technology to block out times to actually create sync time on your calendar. Um, people, uh, there's a belief that this is like a luxury, that it's not okay to block out sync time or um, strategic time in your calendar. So it's up to you to, to block that out during the day and not save that till the after work syncing. And so we can use technology to protect our calendar and teach other people how to treat our time. And so that, again, starts with the awareness of what do I need to meet this goal? I need some time to think or be strategic or collaborate with these partners. So I need to make that a priority in my calendar right now. And so, you know, tools tools like Outlook and Google Calendar, I mean, these are amazing technologies that will support us if we're choosing to use them. So a lot of us, you know, schedule a whole bunch of meetings and we don't go to them or we don't know why we've been invited. And so we're, we're, our, high, our meeting hygiene isn't necessarily up to par. And so that's one way we can gain a lot of time back to put toward these more strategic deadlines by having a little bit more awareness around why we're accepting what meeting and when and kind of the cleanliness of our calendars as well as the cleanliness of our outlook boxes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> This, this is this is closely related. Um, you know, there's a very proportionate relationship between email hygiene and meeting hygiene. Sometimes we have a higher volume of emails because our meetings aren't as efficient as maybe they could be. So then the conversation goes to email, or we have too many emails because maybe it should be discussed in a meeting. And it's, it's just kind of the the good and bad of technology. We have so many choices now for how to communicate with our colleagues that we're not always clear what the best choice is. Um, you know, we're instant messaging each other for things that maybe should be a face-to-face meeting or we're texting people now. I hear a lot of teams are using, you know, SMS and text messaging for work-related things where some people would rather only have text be personal, but they're not comfortable having that conversation, right? So things are kind of confusing, which sabotages us when we're running toward deadlines, um, kind of coming back to the original question. Um, so going back to the intentionality, of what we're trying to accomplish, and then making sure our calendar supports that. It's, it's interesting, you know, the the different modes, you know, that we do have to communicate now, and then one of the oldest ways, walking down the hall 
um, <laughs> for a direct face-to-face, which seems almost sort of um, uh, uh, inconsiderate, um, uh, you know, oddly um, uh, mm-hmm. at, at times. And way to also get out of your seat and, and move your body, which um, makes me uh, wonder um, how much of the stress that uh, being in the digital world imposes on us um, is with sort of using, um, you know, looking at a tiny screen on our phone and having mm-hmm. our hands in odd positions and and sitting hunched over at, um, looking mm-hmm. at a computer screen, uh, and that um, you know, do do you um, uh, uh, you know find uh, have you found interesting um, uh, ways of sort of getting um, into a, a better ergonomic situation. Yeah. So what's what's been really fun about this is there's been some research on walking, the benefits of walking meetings and having people stand. Right. So there's there's meetings called stand up meetings. There's walking meetings. Um, complete. There's actually even a treadmill desk now that I see on the market where people can, um, you know, actually walk and they have kind of a workspace while they're walking. And so, right, getting up and moving about actually, right, uh, creates a different, uh, different system and a different process in our body, right? So, whenever we can interrupt these these patterns for how our bodies engaged all day long, kind of hunched over in these smaller devices, wherever we can look for opportunities to have a different type of engagement. Um, so can you have a face-to-face meeting? And the, it's more around, it goes back to the courage of something you mentioned, that it feels like it's almost intrusive now to walk over to somebody and say, hey, can we just talk about this? We don't need to have you know, a, pro- a projector presentation or even a private room, let's just chat about this. And so um, I know my answer is a little all over the place. This is such an important issue. So looking at how we can disengage from our technology but still accomplish our goal with an old-fashioned conversation, asking people if it's okay, can we talk, and then taking opportunities to get up and walk around, you know, walk around your office, walk around campus, walk around, you know, wherever it is your your, your building's located. I have a team in a, a city, uh, London actually, and they walk the stairs in their building, right? So <laughs> it's not exactly pleasant to walk outside all the time, so they get up and they walk up and down the stairs and discuss issues doing it that way. Um, so see where you can experiment with it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I think that's very clear, you know, because you're getting to conversations again, um, um, you know, whether having conversations about the digital sp- uh, boundaries or, you know, as we're talking here, just to get up and have a conversation in lieu of um, of communicating uh, mm-hmm. uh, digitally. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, in my own experience and, and from what I've heard from people, that that makes um, our work in life uh, more meaningful um, uh, mm-hmm. to have more direct conversations uh, with people, um, anyways, um, I think that's, that's a lot right. of, of what we get from work and life is interactions with people. Uh, yeah, I've talked to thousands and thousands of people, and not one has said, "I wish I had more emails or more meetings." <laughs> <laughs> and so, what I can tell you is, I've heard a collective kind of suffering around this topic, and a shared desire to have more of this kind of human interaction connection at work that I believe can make our meetings and email volumes a little bit more proportionate and responsible if we're willing to maybe look for opportunities to 
to have a little bit more of this human-human connection and, and ask people, hey, is it okay if I walk over to your space or set kind of open office hours? Um, that works really well for folks where they, you know, have a lot of business partners and they talk with a lot of people. They're like, hey, don't send me an email. Just Friday afternoon, my office door is open. Just come on, drop in, bring your questions. Don't send me an email. Just walk on over. And, you know, look at it as an experiment and try different things because each person, each one of you has different things going on and different roles and different outcomes you're trying to achieve. So different tactics are going to work different for each of you. But look and see where you might be able to experiment a little bit and, and create some new boundaries or push some old ones. So I understand the, um, the uh, benefit of individualization and and the mm-hmm. and you know the power of the message that uh, the choice is yours and that we all mm-hmm. have choices to make it's a very empowering but on the other hand you know i hear this um topic of decision fatigue that each decision that we make um in a day um sort of um spends a a limited somewhat limited um amount of of thinking and 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 decision making that we have and we get fatigued. Um, so mm-hmm. does that uh, uh, support the idea that uh, a lot of this can also be coming from an institutional level, uh, uh, that while we do need to individualize things, that cer- certain uh, things can come from uh, on, a, on a systems level that we don't ha- have yet? Absolutely. And I think that is, that's a vital role. And so... I feel like everyone has a responsibility and a role to play. And ultimately, we have to individualize the choices that are going to work best for each of us and empower us, but it has to happen within the construct of what's expected within the organization. And in my experience, most managers and leaders avoid talking about this topic or setting these limits either because they're scared to have the conversation because they haven't really been taught how to have these conversations they're scared people might quit if they set limits, or they're they're scared people aren't going to like them if they set limits. And these are, you know, we're all humans in the workplace, and we desire to be acknowledged and liked and appreciated. And when we set limits, sometimes they can be challenged. And so, employees, individual contributors, crave the foundation in which they can create something custom for themselves. And Companies, I think, have erred too far, and organizations have erred a little bit too far on wanting to give everybody so much flexibility because it can be paralyzing like you just brought up. It can be overwhelming. And so there's kind of a delta in the middle where each manager can say, hey, this is what's expected on my team. These are the things that are priorities. These are the things that are urgent. This is, this is the technology I want you to use to communicate as a guideline. And then from there, the conversation can get a little bit more custom. And so it's about, again, kind of goes back to that courage to set the limit, share it with the team, have a conversation about it, and then empower each individual to have their kind of sub-boundaries within that frame framework. So the, a lot of these are um, uh, skills that w- uh, we've talked about today. That uh, yeah. And when I think of skills, I think of practice. Um, to develop a skill, we just need to practice um, That's right. More and more. Um, so I hope to do that um, uh, uh, with many of the things that we talked about today, um, and, and likely all of our listeners um, feel empowered, uh, really, uh, to do that as well. Um, uh, you know, I think today we've we've talked about um, 
stopping um, for a moment and pausing um, and, uh, you know, really listening to our bodies um, and to our minds and asking ourselves, what, why are we doing this and um, uh, does it support um, um, our goals? Um, the importance of having explicit conversations um, uh, about digital boundaries um, and just the importance of, of having real-life conversations outside of the digital space as well. Um, and then I think, you know, something that uh, I um, have learned only um, recently um, and I, I encourage everybody uh, to think about is using um, a calendar to really block out time uh, uh, to make um, uh, work more meaningful and productive and to um, help set digital boundaries. Uh, and then also the importance of uh, walking down the hall, moving our bodies, um, and again, getting into those conversations that are so important. Yeah, you know, remember this is it's a practice, and it takes you know it takes patience. And and you guys are all going to fail miserably, and then you know tomorrow you might not. And and that's what the journey is. It's just about being aware, just noticing is that supporting me or is it sabotaging me, and then choosing. And then if you make a choice that sabotages you, you know what? Choose again. Choose choose again the next day, and and just creating that, you know, keeping that spirit of ex- experimentation as you begin to look at your relationship with boundaries and technology. Absolutely. Well, Jay, thank you so much for taking the time to help create this podcast today. It was a real pleasure. Um, a special thanks to Chelsea Elkins as well for coordinating Jay's participation um, and the personnel in the respiratory structure and function assembly within the American Thoracic Society. Um, including Sana Siddiqui, for putting together this series on work-life balance in academia. And thanks, everyone, for listening, and stay tuned for additional installments with Jay.